Hey, welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Mel. I'm Katie. And we're your hosts. This week we watched Black Klansman, directed by Spike Lee and released in 2018. The plot of Black Klansman goes something like this. An African-American cop successfully infiltrates the Ku Klux Klan in 1970s Colorado. And we'll do our, our spoiler, spoiler-free bit up front and we'll let you know when we're going to start talking spoilers. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely watch this. Like, definitely watch this. This is a great movie. Um, it's very Spike Lee. So if you really hate Spike Lee, I suppose don't see it. But, like, it's great. It's got so many good performances in it. It looks fantastic. Um, it's, like, funny and dramatic in the right places and stuff. I kind of felt like the ending was a little lacking, and we can talk about that later. Mm. But, um, like, I feel like it relied on a punch that had to do not with the plot too yeah, much. I, I, yeah. Um, and I was not keen on that. But um, other than that, I thought it was a fantastic movie. I just thoroughly enjoyed watching mm. this. Yeah. I, yeah, we have to talk about that under the spoiler warning. But, yeah, yeah, I think I kind of agree with you on that. That said, the movie itself is really well made, um, very funny and dramatic in the same in, – in, like, all, all the right ways, um, appealing to – it's very particularly, um, I guess you called it a Spike Lee sense of humor. It felt to me like a bit of almost a throwback to a more ironic mm. style of humor. I didn't mind that though. But it works really well with the, like it, it, it might feel out of place in a modern set movie, but it worked really yeah. well, I think, with the 70s setting. And the 70s setting is gorgeous. Holy crap, did I love that. Yeah. Um, and I also just thought it was really well put together. Adam Driver, as you know, I love in everything. <laughs> He's just such a good actor. Yeah. And um, Laura Harrier, who I, who brings the same sort of really sweet earnestness to her um, student union leader character in this that she, she brought to um, Spider-Man, which is the only other thing I'd ever seen her in. She was great. Mm. Um, and the lead, who David something Washington. He's John Denzel's David son. Washington? He's Denzel's son. <laughs> um, John, John. John David Washington, I think. Um, I, I didn't know he was Denzel's son. And neither did I until after I, I watched it and I looked him up because I was like, I didn't even know what his name was. Um, and so I thought I'd, I should look him up. I can sort of see that though. Yeah. He's um, really good looking. John David Washington, yes. He's, he's really cute. Really good looking but also has huge presence. He does have huge presence. Um, and he was really fun. I, yeah. Uh, yeah. A relative newcomer and really kind of mm. held the movie down well. Yeah, yeah. And um, – the voice that he did was oh just my great. Gosh. Yeah, <laughs> that 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 yeah that accent. Um, and um, Topher Grace, who has the uh, interesting role of playing the head of the Ku Klux Klan, and I saw I saw a picture of them like mm. that, that's a dead spit. Like they look alike. Yeah, which is um, t- probably terrifying for Topher Grace to think about. Um, really, but he's also quite good in that. Um, well, maybe he thinks it's a positive because he got to do a movie like this in which he, you know, gets to expose. The negatives of the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah, no, I think so. Um, but I also think, yeah, it's a really important film, and but it's a lot of fun to watch at the same time, which is always really good. I like a fun movie with a message, and I hope that lots of people, particularly in Australia, see it at the movies because of the dismal record of um, non-white movies having mm. getting released here. Not, it's it's not just non-white. Like we get more. I think particularly African American movies, we don't. Yeah, I, I I um am saying it that because I'm also mad at the moment that Crazy Rich Asians is delayed here. It but is, it but is, only it's particularly by two weeks. Yeah, it's, it's pretty particularly big black movies, like and African American movies just don't get releases here. So I'm really hoping this is like some people will actually watch this and it'll get some 
you'll get some good word of mouth. Yeah, I think there's something um, that it has on its side on that front, but we'll talk about that in the spoiler section um, in terms of getting people to watch it. But also it's like I think it's probably more um, accessible to Australian audiences because we know what the Ku Klux Klan is Mm. like – um, that's know, not fact, like an alien kind of concept. I, I, we are actually only getting it a week after the US, um, this one. So yeah. that is a, a big step up. It and did, I've it, seen it did, a lot of advertising for it. Yeah. Too. And it won second prize at Cannes. And, uh, when I went, um, we got caught a preview and I went up to Sydney and visited my, uh, my in-laws and they, had, and I said, oh, you've asked for Black Klansman last night. And they're like, oh yes, I saw that. It looks really funny. Should we watch it? And I was like, Yay. you definitely should be watching it. Um, my, my, sister-in-law and brother-in-law not my parents-in-law mm. to be clear but they were very keen on it and like reg you know i'm always quite excited when like regular non-movie folk get excited yeah. about something like a spike lee movie so um hopefully it does does pretty well anyway we should probably jump into spoilers because yes. i don't really have any more non-spoilery things to say um yeah so my my like i had to kind of take some time like after the movie to remember the stuff that had happened before the ending it had because an infinity war problem it like yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, the ending is such a letdown. You know what I mean? Like, it's just such a non-event. It happens so quickly and then you're just kind of left going, well, what now? But then they don't really capitalize on the what now feeling either. Mm. So it just is not really much of an ending. And then he relies on all the Trump footage, which I think would have been better off put in the credits, like while the credits were rolling, show that stuff so that it doesn't feel like it's meant to be part of the movie because making it part of the movie is firstly too on the notes for me. It just annoys me. Mm. But secondly, it kind of dilutes the impact of the movie you just saw yeah. because it's too much about what's currently going on. So you leave the movie feeling stressed about what's currently going on mm. and not feeling energized by the movie you just saw. Yeah, and the things you could be doing to change it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's – it's such an intense ending because I mean, with all the Heather Heyer footage and um, the protests and it's so intense that it kind of just shocks everybody and the whole cinema was really quiet, even though the ending of the story of the film is quite positive. Like It is, but it, I – because when it ended, I didn't think that was the ending, which I think you know because I was like, oh, no, he's they're going to get blamed for it or something because I was like, firstly, this is a Spike Lee movie and secondly, like that – they weren't involved enough in the ending. Yes. Yeah, you know, yeah. like the, the Ku Klux Klan just kind of took Blew themselves, themselves out. up. Yeah. They didn't really do anything, yeah. which may be the real story, but you can take some artistic license but when you are. Even if that is the real story, I do know that the phone call is invented for the film. The phone, the, the phone call that they end on where he rings David yeah. Duke one last time and all his mates are listening behind him, that's invented for the film. That's so obvious enough. If the. <laughs> If that's invented for the film, then and and uh, and Laura Harrier's character is invented for the film. Like, there's plenty of stuff to make the narrative go better, mm. even though even though it ca- captures the essential truth of the whole thing. Yeah. Um. But it would have been nice if they if their actions had had more of an impact on mm. the final confrontation thing, mm. because it just it just ended really. Mm. Like it, you know, there's all this tension built up, and it doesn't. It, it just dissipates. Because you the only consequence you really see from the explosion is that, like, 
their funding gets cut. It seems like everybody's figured out that they blew themselves up and that the cops weren't involved and that um, Laura Harrier and her friend weren't involved. So, like, that it just the, and the consequences they get called into their boss's office and told to destroy their files. That's it. Well, yeah, that's but that's because they don't want to, um, yeah, admit that it happened. Well, no, I thought it was because they were trying to protect the clan. Oh, right. Like they were, it, yeah, it was because the the um, head cop was racist, which was pretty, which was uh, implied through the movie. Yeah. Uh, um. Yeah. Okay. I, I thought it was less of a conspiracy and more of just like he didn't want people to know that this had happened that in under his on his watch but but the fbi as well were like this never happened yeah sort of so it seems like they were yeah they were trying to like not let it get out that that the ku klux klan had done this and stuff like that right like, right you know whereas and you can see the difference between how they treat that and how they treat um that fantastic Corey hawkins um bit at the beginning like what that he was an agitator and all that sort of mm, stuff mm. like you can see like that's i think the, yeah, the parallel there kwame is, yeah kwame. yeah sorry i didn't, I didn't know, know the if he was name. real oh he's the, he, the person is real the character is real but um the actor i didn't know yeah because he's from straight out of compton oh, which right. every time any of the guys from straight out of compton are in another movie i get really excited yeah kwame Toure is the um the person he was playing who was yeah. a real actor okay but he, I he was he so one scene basically yeah so good he I'm took telling us to you church those guys from straight out of compton uh like badass lakeith stanfield was the other was in no he no? wasn't in straight out of oh, Compton. okay anyway but that that opening scene the, the thing that he first infiltrates when he goes to the the meeting that kwame brother kwame is speaking at um that's a really good scene and also shot in this really interesting way um it's shot like church and it's it it's meant to look like church and he uses um the sort of because it's nighttime he uses like the black background to um project people's faces up onto screen just watching them um go through the motions and yeah i just it, it's really well done and it sets up the rhythm for sort of group scenes and speeches and stuff that go throughout the movie yeah i felt like some were not as strong as that mm. i think that was the strongest oh, one yeah i thought Topher graces were quite strong like he mm. just had this really interesting energy in this movie that worked so well mm. that was that kind of I'm so charming and presentable and like completely evil. Yeah, and completely was, able to fly off the handle at any yeah. second. Well, yeah, trying so, so hard to be presentable, but just like this streak of pure nastiness. Yeah, it was a really good use of Topher Grace, and mm. Topher Grace used his abilities really well. Yeah, yeah. Like he was very well cast in this. Yeah. But Corey Hawkins just has something, man. He's just so watchable. Mm. Like he was terrific, and I was so excited to see him. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was almost like I, I was almost like, anymore. did they bring in a real activist to speak at this? Like yeah. it was, he was so good. Yeah, and the way it was shot was really cool. And it, like mm. they had, they used these old kind of techniques, like that projection thing mm. is a pretty mm. old technique. And um, there's like wipes, mm-hmm. swipe, what? Yeah, wipes, wipes yeah. across the screen, like to yeah, yeah. transition between scenes, which is so fun. Sometimes I thought it was a bit too much. Like when the the movie posters came up, when they're just walking along a bridge, was a yeah. bit kind of pulled me out of it a bit i didn't mind that because i appreciated like the callback to actually which movies they were referring to and because he does at points dip in and out of movies that really were made yeah i liked that um yeah I, yeah i can see that as well but like it just reminded me that i was watching a movie in a moment that i felt we didn't want to be reminded because it was building that relationship between the two of them mm. Also, when he straight up tells her that he's a cop, I was like, what are you doing? Like, 
just oh my god actually kind of reminded me of luke cage um but like when then they're like oh how dare you and you're like well but he tells her in the context of like he thinks that she's in danger yeah. though so i mean what like you sort I of i know but it just i was like but this is like the worst possible thing that like you can do because now she's just gonna not want to listen to you and be mad yeah. <laughs> like obviously based on you know yeah. everything that we know about her as a character um which was less than i would have liked but yeah um it's she's the invented character yeah in that a, makes in a sense because she's not which fully means, fleshed out yeah. she's less well done well sort of done than the others um it, it, that always frustrates me yeah, I, I get why they made her though. Yeah, because um, otherwise it would have been a total yeah dude fest, dude fest. Um, and yeah, I was gonna say dick fest, and I'm like, it's not nice. Katie. No, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> no. Um, yeah, because like in at the police stations, him, Adam Driver, and um, cut price Steve Buscemi, his, his actual brother. Yes, <laughs> Steve Buscemi's actual brother. I didn't, Michael. No, yeah, Buscemi? and I didn't realize. I just like I just thought like, oh, Steve Buscemi's kind of skinny in this film, or well, like I his hair's it. different. Yeah, and it's yeah, actually his brother. Um, I knew it Michael wasn't Buscemi. Steve Buscemi. Yeah. Like just immediately, I knew it wasn't Steve Buscemi, and I was like, that guy seems so familiar. Yeah, yeah. But um, also I felt like their boss, like the not the main boss, but their underboss was not introduced well enough to be memorable, like the mustachioed guy. Because no. then he kept coming back and I was like, who is this guy again? Yeah. Wait, who's that guy again? Yeah. So that could have – I felt like that introduction could have gone a little better because he becomes a really important part right at the end. Yeah. And you're like, um, I don't remember him. No, I found that – yeah, that was slightly weird as well. And, and just it, – it sort of confused things, them having two different bosses. Like well, I, that might have been realistic – but it also kind of like it just gave us an extra person we had to remember. And but you know. I think it would have been really clever to set him up as like an an uh, opposition to yeah. the big boss. But and they didn't though. But it wasn't clear enough if they were trying to if he was trying to do that because it was like no, I, yeah, like I said, I didn't. And the other guy is so memorable. Mm. Like um, he looks like um, eh, anyway, he looks like another guy. Yeah, he does. He looks like someone slightly more famous. Slightly more famous, right. Yeah. I can't remember who it is, though. Uh, no. But just enough to be yeah, significant and memorable. Mm-hmm. The other person who's really memorable who doesn't come back is um, the um, black cop who interviews uh, um, I don't Ron at the beginning. I don't think that's a cop. I think that's like, oh, yeah, like someone a, else from the city or something. Yeah. Who's been mayor brought in. Or whatever. Yeah, or works for the mayor or whatever, and he's been like sent into the police station to ensure that the cops don't completely mess up their interview for this one black person who's ever applied for a job there he was so funny i thought he was great and the like double act of those two worked yeah, really yeah. well so it was a shame that he didn't it was kind of a shame that that guy didn't have somebody to balance him out for the rest of the film you know like right to make it more entertaining to watch oh. him do things yeah, I yeah. suppose, and to kind of give a broader sense of the what's going on in the in that police precinct as yeah, well. Yeah, and the culture of it. Yeah, stuff. because really, like, basically that one full-on white supremacist officer has to do all, most of the heavy lifting and then the chief has all the, like, the more baked-in racism mm. and that's it. Like, you well, don't... I mean, there are moments when you can see Adam Driver and Michael Buscemi being racist. Mm. Like, they will say racist things that are, like, that, that kind of um, – microaggressions and stuff mm, that mm-hmm. they don't realize is as racist as it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is really interesting to see. Like, I like that there's all those levels and stuff. Because mm. this movie, 
subtlety is not usually its strong suit. <laughs> no. We are literally introduced in the beginning of the movie to Alec Baldwin playing a Trump-esque character to immediately put Trump on your mind. Like, yeah, yeah. that's definitely what they were and, doing and they, they And, yeah, and they keep bringing in lines from it and, yeah, from yeah. Trump and, yeah. Yeah, um, and, and there's literally a moment when Ron goes, I don't think they'd ever make somebody like David Duke president. Yeah, yeah. Like, and you're and, like... And the whole cinema groans, and, and yeah, that's and, what... and um, David Duke saying, um, well, it's, "It's about America finding its greatness again." Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, and America first, which is their was their slogan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, one of the things I did like though, in when we were talking just before about um, sort of the racist microaggressions and that sort of thing, is Adam Driver's journey, like as mm. a, a Jewish man who'd been passing. That was well, quite... he he um, never thought of himself as like yeah being not jewish mm. but he also never thought of himself as being like like i think he yeah, just kind of didn't think a, about it too no much. he never did and then he kind of really subtly like it, it, he really subtly experiences it like yeah. it kind of creeps up on him and then he realize and he starts saying things that he kind of realizes what's going on yeah um i think to kind of be passing you have to make a conscious effort to do that yeah almost. and he was that he did talk about how he wears a star of david so yeah, it's not like exactly. he was it's not like he was hiding it. He just sort of wasn't making – like, he wasn't really talking about it. Yeah, exactly. And, like, the clan members do suspect him of being Jewish very early yeah, on. Yeah, So it's not like he's, like, you know – yeah, I think – I don't think that what he's doing is intentionally passing. I think he's just experiencing the privileges of – being white in that world yeah, and yeah. not having to think about it too much. Yeah. Um and it's it's quite a subtle story. Um especially for like a white audience member. Like that's um that's that, kind of interesting. And to he follow. he um performed that really well. Like the scene where he talks about it is so good because again, with a movie that lacks subtlety like this which <laughs> yes. is not necessarily always a bad thing. I don't I, I think yeah. in a couple of instances I wasn't keen on it, but other times I was like, fine, go go for gold yeah yeah but um it's interesting to see someone who um like adam driver is an actor who's all about subtlety yes and that scene where he's like having to discuss things that are really difficult so he sits back to back with ron so he doesn't have to look at him when he says the yeah. things that he's talking about and it like he talks around things and finally gets the point at the end is such a real conversation mm. and like the music kind of dies out and you're just sitting with him figuring this out and it's such a nice moment in the movie yeah um it was also shot really nicely that scene i remember like i noted the shot because when they were sitting back to back it's so nicely framed yeah and the contrast in this movie is so great um well i mean it's really well shot it and is well it looks really good yeah that's and it has a real 70s color palette to it. it almost could be shot on film in some places yeah it does sort of have a 70s color palette, except a lot of the time the 70s were like more washed out and kind of grainy than this. Yes. Not always. But yeah. this is kind of like extreme in your face 70s. Yeah. Because I was thinking a lot about Starsky and Hutch when I was uh, watching it. Right. Which is a show that I love. And um, that was like, they. this is kind of, I think, what they would like to look like <laughs> in the 70s, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, look at my cool red car and all that sort of stuff. Right. But they couldn't get the colors to pop like this unless, unless they had a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yes. I was just looking up the um, the cinematographer because that, of course, led me there. It's the guy who shot um, Beyonce's Lemonade. Oh, cool. Uh, Chase Chase Irvin. Um, anyway, it, it's just an interesting looking um, 
looking film. And it does, and like we were talking about before about, you know, use of older techniques like wipes and the screen face things, but um, also that Spike Lee thing of, of dipping into movies. Like we see a bit of, there's, it shows a bit of Birth of a Nation. It shows mm. a bit of Gone with the Wind. And it does, it's quite a nice, like, in this essay, I will um, describe how these yeah. these old classic films are super racist. Um, it's quite well done. Uh, there's also a bit towards the end, just thinking about speeches, where um, Harry Belafonte. Yeah, I remember the thing I was going to say. So oh, right. No, I'm go going to have it in the back of my mind. You tell cool. you about Harry Belafonte thing and I will. So he is playing like an older person who has lived through a, a lynching from the 19-teens that happened around the time of Birth of a Nation coming out. And yeah, that was one of the sort of slightly less effective scenes, but it all they were all he he was like it was almost like a poet poetry reading that was going on um, while all this other stuff was happening. It was kind of that's who that was. Yeah, yeah, I yeah I just put that together. But um, yeah, the Harry Belafonte thing was like that was another one that kind of for me was like. It, it didn't have the power of a lot of the other scenes. No. It, and I don't know if it was just how it was shot or – because I felt like it should have had that power. The story was really upsetting. Really, yeah. And yet it just – it lacked something. Yeah. I don't know what it was because <laughs> he was fine. Like it wasn't the actor. Yeah. I mean he was older and you kind of have to like – compensate for that but if you you can imagine sitting in the audience for that watching right it, i think maybe that and should have been the all the kids like the kids the younger actors who were there were like you know try, showing as though they were hanging on every word and all that kind of thing yeah I, but i think like the gasps of outrage and stuff from them kind of and and the flipping between the two scenes mm. like if you had to sit and listen to that story from him the whole time it might have worked better for me to be immersed in it yeah and have it build and, and not have the like flashes to the pictures and not have the flashes to the crowd and stuff yeah but just sit in the story mm. might have been more effective i don't mm. know because it just like i felt like it was losing momentum like you would flick back to toe for grace and he would build the momentum and then you'd lose it again going back mm. and i know that they were like very clearly trying to parallel each other yeah, yeah. so yeah it just didn't quite work for me for some reason mm. it wasn't that i was unaffected by the story yeah it just, just it on a filmmaking as, level yeah quite as profound particularly after the Corey Hawkins is his name yeah yeah particularly after that yeah, yeah exactly that and was also amazing. and also um, Topher Grace's like horrific <laughs> speeches yeah that it, are so well done like if you'd put us in the position of the audience and that was one of the things about like that kind of evangelist church-esque mm. um like back and forth between the yeah speaker and the audience where it like you are led to what you're supposed to think by the audience reactions to it mm. rather than having to sit in the story and listen to it. Yeah. That's kind of, I think, a little bit yeah. less effective for me. Yeah. I was actually um, thinking about that because you mentioned Luke Cage before as well and I was thinking about like I wonder sometimes if I'm caught in like white person story viewing mode yeah. and like there's different like black storytelling is more around that sort of church sermony type yeah. with the crowd reaction. Um, and also the use of like poetry and music that particularly in, in Blue Cage, they use music to tell stories and where I'm sitting there going, come on, this episode's already 55 minutes long, get on with it. So I wonder if that's like a bit of a, a storytelling divide and which is obviously why you need more um, like black directors and stuff to, so we learn to watch those stories and learn, yeah. learn that kind of stuff. But it is, it can be less effective, I think. I think, uh, well, I mean, the, but it doesn't take me out of the first one, the Corey Hawkins one, when we get shots of the audience, but mm. they're not 
yelling things. Yeah. Um, I think that was kind of – and and I felt the same thing actually with the white audience when they were watching Birth of a Nation. Mm, mm. And that bloody woman was just screaming things and laugh, cackling. And I, I was must like – It must have been so annoying to watch with her. <laughs> I was genuinely like, we're in a movie. Shut up. <laughs> like – like, and it's not even, I mean, I don't usually mind, like, a bit of talking and rustling mm. and all that sort of stuff. I go to the movies with kids, but she was just so over the top. And it was clearly because she wanted her reactions to be approved by... She was performing, yeah. Yeah, she was performing, but it grated on me so much. Yeah, yeah. I was so irritated. Mm. I was so happy when that scene ended. Like, and up until that point in the movie, I was like, oh, I hate her. And then at that from that point in the movie on, I was like, she's just like nails on a chalkboard terrible mm. okay. because it was just that she's so irritating in that scene i don't know if that was intentional yeah yeah no i i didn't have the same hatred of her i just thought she was fascinating uh because it was one of those like really textbook studies in like com- compliant uh not compliant complicit white ladies yeah um and i thought that was really well done like the whole greeting the white man at the door with the huge hugs and everything and then like smiling and and uh and, and like bringing in cookies and in the same breath talking about um like killing killing Laura, Laura Harrier yeah, yeah Laura Harrier and then also uh like how clearly horrible her husband is to her but because like because her marriage gives her whatever tiny little bit of power in society because submitting to this horrible man gives her a tiny teeny little bit of power she's willing to sell out like everything like she's willing to kind I guess, of like, but I don't think that she would see it that way. Like I just don't think that she she wouldn't see it that way. But that is like like a, a white woman protecting her whiteness ahead of like like ahead of her other like yeah. and, and while still being oppressed as a woman. Like and, yeah, and there's a really being and and like buying into that because of whatever benefits she gets from being white. Yeah, there's a, there's something really sad about yeah her it's, as, it's as, up until that moment when she's screaming during the movie. At which point I was like. I, I yeah. no longer feel any sadness or like that yeah. she's pathetic. I just want, like, but that was a me. It's just like, um, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, but it, there I is think something, that's like a really interesting sort of case study. It's just, it's like, for me, it's the sadness of like the way that society teaches women to like do anything for men. So yeah. I think most of her, like her behavior is coming from being desperate for the appro- for the approval of her husband, yeah. who clearly doesn't really care about her. Right, like he was fully willing to blow her up. Yeah, he just did not care, and she was so desperate for that attention because and everybody says you need to outright hostile to her ninety yeah. percent of the time. Yeah, and like you know, she, um, yeah, she's so desperate for that attention that yeah. she becomes more and more extreme. To get it. Yeah. Um, and that's what the laughing is about and that's what the, yeah. you know, the terrible things that she wants to say and do are about and uh-huh. stuff, um, which is, it's horrible and she's, you know, definitely complicit. Yeah. Not not even complicit. She she is an actor in the whole thing. Mm, yes. Um, out of her own choice. But it does say something about, like, it's intersectionality. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and there's a couple of times I wrote that too because they there's a bit of homophobia and all this other stuff that's mm-hmm. in the movie. And I'm like, these things all come with the racism. Like, yeah. you you are making homophobic jokes with your friends at the police station. Well, you know, yeah. fighting against racism and stuff. So Yeah. Uh, and the, um, 
because I, what what I started to say when I was talking about Harry Belafonte was that he's playing someone who was around in the 19 teens, mm. uh, and the environment that Birth of a Nation sort of it, Birth of a Nation caused the the resurgence of the KKK yeah. and an uptick in lynchings and all that kind of stuff. So I suspect it's probably related to that, like with Trump giving people permission to be overtly racist again. No, and, it was something else. Was something oh, okay, else. but yeah, I get where you're coming from. Yeah, um, I just was wondering if that was the no. I'm just going to go through my notes, see if I can find um, what I'm doing. Yeah, that, that, would be, that would be fine. Um, I, also, I also noticed something really, really interesting. You know how women make micro-adjustments all the time about their like look and their image and stuff because we feel like we're being judged all the time and stuff? Um, yeah. Ron did that in this movie. He kept like fixing his hair. He would like fix his collar. He was making all of these micro-adjustments to make him – presentable to the other cops yeah which i thought was really interesting because i mean obviously he does that vocally as well yes yeah and it's it is like i think i mean i just think john david washington yeah john david is washington really really good in this mm. um and the a lot of that is in those things like mm. the ticks and the like you know it, it, it's such an interesting uh exploration of racism and things both sidesism. It's both sidesism that I wanted to talk about. Oh, okay. because this movie does a lot of like they do that when they do those parallel scenes. They do black power and white power. Yeah, and and like you hear both sides calling the cops pigs uh-huh. as well, which is really notable. And it occasionally veers into that territory of like both sides are as bad as each other. Oh, which is a weird thing to happen in a movie like this. And I don't know if it's intentional from Spike Lee or if it's, like, my reading of it, but I feel like, especially, like, an Australian white audience going to see this, are going to go see things where they directly parallel that black power and white power scene. And think that the two are equivalent when they're not. Right. Yeah. Or, like, um, yeah, when both sides are calling the cops pigs and she's like, oh, all the cops are our enemy, like, making that. And I think that was intentional. I think that he's, like, Mm. trying, like trying to say that they're not all the enemy in which is a, probably a good message but it also veers into with real life events there's blue lives matter and black lives matter mm. and that's not equivalent yeah you know and it's really like i feel like it kind of veers into that territory a little bit i don't think it goes all the way there i mm. think it's very clear that the black power and white power things are different yeah especially because when you see the white people doing it, they they just seem so pathetic like it's a second rate imitation of people whose rituals actually mean something but, but it's also the, the stories that they're telling are not yeah. equal no like his is so awful and theirs is just like awful to black people yeah so it's very clear that that's not equivalent but i feel like there are moments especially with the cop stuff and things like that yeah where it kind of drifts into that territory a little bit right in ways that i i think especially in a movie that lacks subtlety as much as this one does mm. if you're going to do things like that they're going to need to be really in your face as well. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can't just kind of brush over them and do them subtly. Mm. That was the thing that I noticed in the movie a few times, that it just seemed like – it seemed to be painting her as like too extreme a few times and things like that. Yeah, which Especially is, since she's an invented character. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Because like she's the only one who's in – she and um, – Ron Stallworth are the only ones who are in real physical uh, and Adam Driver are in physical danger. Like she's in danger of being killed almost at all times mm. for her views and the white supremacist guys. Yeah. 
apart from Adam Driver, who's a double agent, are not in the same way. So it well, doesn't feel like the stakes fair, are equal. Well, the woman is. <laughs> she is in real physical danger because her husband is yes. fully willing to sacrifice her for the cause. She is, yes. So he puts her in direct danger. <laughs> yeah, it I don't was know. Intersect- that- well, it's intersectionality the again. One- the, the Jewish man, the woman, the yeah. white woman and the black woman. Yeah, like- and... And she's the one who survives and yeah. has to go to jail for all of the things that have happened. So. Yeah, whereas he just blows himself up and dies. Yep. I knew they were going to blow themselves up, but I genuinely thought that, like, um, Ron They were going to and... take one of the good guys with them? Yeah. No, I thought they would end up taking the blame for it and he would get fired or something. Yeah. That would almost be, like, a... it would be a sadder ending, but, like, it would almost say something more than what Yeah, ha- like... like, about how hard it is for him to... That there was some kind of real st- stake in, and that like one guy in the police force is can only do so much and is up against so much. Mm. Um, it it doesn't almost feel like that. It just sort of feels like let's cover this up rather than like these are the real and serious consequences you had for acting out of line the way you did. Yeah, which well, is probably more realistic. It it is. I I just felt like that was a kind of downer ending that he might go for. Yeah. Um, especially when that happened because I was like, well how is this all going to work out? Like, how is this going to cap off? Because they just didn't have anything to do with it. Huh. Um, it's such a weird ending to go with. Yeah. Yeah, it's such – I mean, the David Duke phone – final David Duke phone call was more of an ending than that was. I mean, that yeah, that was the ending. But I, there's there's no sort of explanation of – there's no there's nothing between those guys blowing themselves up in that car and that phone call, really. Mm. Like, there's no – consequences for the local chapter or you know what's the effect on like uh, what's what are other effects going on they just have this triumphant phone call and even the futility of it all could have been more effectively driven home Mm. than it was yeah it kind of felt like the end of a tv show really Yeah, yeah when the guys were sitting in the office and he was like you know, you need to shut it all down and all of them were mad at him and then Ron storms out. Yeah. Kind of felt like the ending of a TV show, like yeah. a very special episode or something. <laughs> yeah. You know, it doesn't... He leaves a ringing it, phone behind. Yeah. It doesn't, like, have that big impact uh. that it kind of needs. And if it had been about the futility of it all, he could be like, oh, I worked... Because they have that big triumphant bit just before it as well, mm. which I think maybe, like, diminishes it. Because mm. you're like... Well, what did you guys do to be triumphant about? I, I guess they did stop the attack on the only. I mean, the yeah. big speech, right? They, that, tra- they were stopped in, that, but they also did. Also, Laura Harrier's character didn't get attacked. Like the only people who were injured were white, who were killed were white supremacists. Yeah, like I get, that is a success. Yeah, it is a success, but it's also like, but did they foil the plot? Really? No, they, they figured just, out it was going on, and I then. Mean, the plot self-foiled because the guys well, are yeah, idiots. I mean, the, well, that's kind of the, – the idiots who were behind the plot were so stupid that they foiled the plot. But they did sort of foil some things. Like when they were able to stop cross burnings just by like sending a few patrol cars past yeah. and things like that. Like, well, that that's very much like real life. You know, the, there was a um, – yeah. the Unite the Right or whatever rally that happened mm. in the last couple of days. Yeah. The, and that was the one last year that they were – um, with the tiki torches. I, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm telling the audience. Oh, yeah, right. Because that, that anniversary has just happened. So yeah. it's all very much in consciousness at the moment. And I this episode should come out around that same time. But, yeah, I can't guarantee um, it. Yeah. Yeah. So that, um, uh, which was before the Heather Heyer thing. But. It was the same. Yeah, but the same day. This, was it the same day? Yeah. 
Okay. Or like the night, it was the night before and then the, yeah, the next day. Yeah, I think it was that. Yeah. Like it was before. He- but anyway. But that there was a, a rally that was supposed to be like that Tiki Torches one. Yeah. And they literally. Um, like 20 people turned off. 30, yeah. Yeah. And like, and they were just scared away. They were scared away. And they were scared away when they weren't the ones who a member of their, you know, group got killed. No. And they were still scared away. And yet, you know, the people, um, the counter-processors showed up in droves. Yeah. It, even though their lives actually were in physical danger. Exactly. So I think yeah. that's really telling of the people. And I think that's what this is about. You know, mm. it's really telling of them that a couple of cop cars stopped them from doing their yeah. Whereas, like, super scary activities. And, 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 and a death that. threat wouldn't stop um, Laura Harry or any of her activist friends from yeah. doing what they want to do. Um, and you can see that in the um, neckbeard mouth breather character. Mm. <laughs> Very subtle again. Yeah. Uh, just overwhelmingly subtle. But funny, like mm. in a pathetic kind of way. Yeah, um, yeah. It's almost Especially, a shame that like more attention goes on losers like him when there's also the subplot about how there's two guys who work for NORAD in the in the chapter. Yeah, but I think it makes sense that we never see them because they like yeah. can't be too involved unless they're way yeah, out yeah, in the yeah. woods. And where, whereas and they and we need somebody to be like the, you know, like leering crazy face. That of, was a great scene as well. Um, oh, when the... he took the photos and then he went up and the targets were the um, black kids running away. Yeah. That was really good. Just very effective. And it was um, with a really good song as well. Mm. I can't remember if it was one of the Sister no, Act ones. I can't not. remember. But yeah, you did say there was at least two songs from yeah, Sister Act. Yeah, there were two. two in yeah. There. Yeah. Which is great. They're both great songs. It's yeah, just yeah. that like I can never hear them without thinking of Sister Act 2. And that two of them in this movie yeah. was funny to me. I mean, Spike Lee's probably the same age as the people who made um, the Sister Act films and therefore has the same taste in music. Yeah. That's probably why. And they're, and they're popular songs and stuff. So, I don't know who made the Sister Act movies. I, I have no idea. But, like, he'd be around the same age as Whoopi, like, I think. Yes, he is. Um, the Alec Baldwin opening was really good as well because, um, like, the, the things where he couldn't remember his lines and mm. how, like – automatic it was for him to be saying such horrible things was really clever like yeah. a really clever opening and it kind of set you up for what like that had the birth of a nation shots and stuff that mm. set you up for what was to come and to give you a, like a reminder of the history of racism in america without like this is the history of racism in america yeah which was neat yeah there was some line about a cold fart that made me laugh really hard you think you're hot shit but you really are <laughs> a cold fart that's it <laughs> And it was the the racist cop too, but it was still a great line. Yeah, it was funny. It was it was just a you know, it's one of the early lines that really gives you a sense of what's coming. Mm. You know, like in terms of the dialogue, which was I thought the dialogue was really well handled. In the it was like heightened, but yeah. like again with the lack of subtleties, it, it's it's all heightened, but not in a way that's like unrealistic or too mm. hyper-realistic to be a real situation. Yeah. So that you can laugh at the Ku Klux Klan and stuff like that, like, because it's all heightened, but yeah. um, you're still aware of the reality behind the scenes and stuff. Well, it also helps when later on they, they he wants to slip in, like, bits of theory, like mm. when the two of them – the scene where um, the two movie posters come up when they're walking up that ramp. Yeah. Uh, and, and she's talking about, um, like – of different black philosophers and, and um, the ideas of double consciousness and all that kind of stuff. You can kind of that that sort of um, quite intellectual dialogue can be slipped in, to that. and and immediately then turn into like which um, black exploitation movie is your favorite yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. thing and like stuff that's more 
um, yeah, and and having those be next to each other, the philosophy and the um, cultural, yeah, and the double the du- um, double consciousness thing, which she talks to him about the theory, and then you actually see um, Adam Driver go through it later on, like uh, you see um, John David um, Washington as well, like you actually see how it plays out, how they adjust themselves mm. um, in the different worlds they walk in. Oh. That reminds me of another thing that really, really irritates me about this movie. Why don't they even try to disguise their voices since it's a major plot point? <laughs> Why? And, and, it's and not like it's that hard for John David Washington to at least drop his voice an octave when he's talking because that's how Adam Driver talks or for Adam Driver to maybe pick his voice up a little bit when he's talking because that's how – like, yeah, just that much. They do a whole scene about where trying he, to practice it. Yeah. yeah, and they never use it. Yeah. He never even – there's never and even there's a moment where they try. One time where somebody remarks on it among the KKK and he's like, oh, allergies. But, well, yeah, but then you can see it ha- at the climax. Mm. Everybody's like, this is weird because that voice definitely sounds familiar when he's mm-hmm. the, shows up as himself to protect yeah, yeah. Um, David Duke. But, but, um, and especially and I be- thought that would lead to something. Yeah, especially because John David Washington is – the accent that he uses in this is quite distinctive. And great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, but that's the thing. He does such a good job. He couldn't at least – and I understand that it would be better if Adam Driver changed his voice. But then why doesn't he change his voice at the end when the, when the um, boss is literally like, you told me that you could speak both the Queen's English and Jive. Mm. And you're like, okay, so can we hear him talk some Jive? We nope. never do. Nope. He ever. doesn't change a single thing about how he talks. Yeah. And he almost always speaks like white English. No, he doesn't when he's with um, her. Though. Oh, right. Yeah. No. Co- there. And he's not great at it either. Like she's like, you're a nerd. Yeah. <laughs> this is not yeah. working. Yeah. Even when he's with her, he's, his English is fairly formal. But he does use more slang and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And he doesn't even try to do that when he's with the white supremacists at mm. the end. He just sounds like himself. Mm. It's infuriating to me because I was no. like, you'd at, you would at least try Right, you are cops. You are undercover cops. You would, and Adam Drive has been doing it a long time. Yeah, you would try to sound like the other person. You would probably go through some kind of rigorous, like, training yeah. to go undercover as the other person. Y- you would not think. just one scene and then forget it. Yeah, yeah, yeah you, with your acting coaches, Steve Buscemi's brother. <sighs> it's terrible. And the number of times as well that I would note something and then that was in subtext or subtle and then it would become text like two <laughs> scenes later so i was talking i wrote down like that um laura harry's character was like angela davis and then and yeah. then they talked about angela's angela davis, Dav- angela davis couple scenes later i was like yeah. damn i'm not clever yeah <laughs> well maybe i am <laughs> like these are clearly things that you know I, actually, a wider I didn't audience make, wouldn't all know no i actually um thought that as well i think because we did the 13th relatively right like mm. in the last couple of years and so i knew what angela davis looked like and i was like they, are they is she meant to be angela before i'd heard her name i was yeah. like is she meant to be angela davis or is she just being styled like her oh yeah i really liked that line when ron goes with the white with the right white man we can do anything mm. i thought that was i just he was so fun in the, like he yeah. just was did that so well you know kind of balanced yeah everything he's so well. he's fantastic like he's the the breakout star of this film yeah oh that's right um before they do the the talking the t- when he tries to teach him how to talk black yep. Adam Driver how to talk black um, Adam Driver says I always wanted to be black oh. and it's very get out yeah yeah and that was one of the moments when there was like that kind of that like racism that you know microaggression stuff the microaggression yeah, yeah. stuff and the racism yeah yeah and they, they and he and um 
Michael Buscemi, um, name their favorite fo- black footballers and basketball players yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Um, they're like all the best sportsmen are black. Oh yeah, somebody said I overstand at one point, which made me very happy as well. <laughs> That's the exactly the kind of like word humor, word play humor that I like. <laughs> it reminds me of um um. I know you can be overwhelmed, and I know you can be underwhelmed, but can you ever just be whelmed? Stuff like that. I think you can in Europe. And there's a bit where one character says, um, "Oh, everybody nowadays is like, don't say this, don't say that." It's one of the clan yeah. members, but it's, uh-huh. you know, very much mirroring current events. Again, yeah, 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 like political correctness whatever yep there's also a really weird joke that gets repeated about inflation which is why i think like it triggered me to think that the boss mm. was like clan connected oh, yeah. because when adam driver joins um the knockoff luke wilson guy says, oh um R- ryan eggold from he's from the blacklist okay in this movie, he just struck me as a knockoff Luke Wilson. I'd never thought of him that way before, but yeah, okay. He kind of looked like him and sounded like him and yeah, was playing no, I, the kind I, of yeah, role. Yeah, no, I, um, and he, he said, the ropes and hoods are extra because of inflation. Yeah. And at the end of the movie, the boss says, oh, we can't keep you all on because of inflation. Oh, I didn't pick that up. I just thought it was a weird joke to be repeated if it wasn't making a connection between the two. So I read that as... The 70s was a period of really strong inflation. Yeah. And so people were talking about inflation as like a regular topic, the way that people talk about um, low wage growth at the moment as a topic, like it's a thing of economics that's actually made it into general consciousness. Yeah. Um, but you might be right. Um, yeah. That, that, that makes sense now that I think of it. I don't know. I mean, it could just be that like he happened to make that choice that joke yeah, twice because inflation I, was around but the fact that it was those characters and it was when he was firing them or when he was not firing them but like promoting them. them and defunding um, them yeah because i just thought that the that the chief was just like establishment racist not like clan racist just like mm. the, in the way that like regular people racist yeah not, that's what i thought for most of the movie yeah. it was just that moment like yeah. right at the end that now, I was well, like, now oh. that you've pointed it out that um, that might be a thing. Yeah. Um, also, I made a note. You know when um, when Ron threw the rock through the window, mm-hmm. and um, I was like, oh, I think that's probably going to stoke racial tension tension somehow. That doesn't come back either. No. There's a lot of things that I felt like should come back that didn't. Yeah. Um, maybe it's because she would on... have definitely called the police. Yeah. Around, about that. Yeah. And I thought maybe he would have to justify himself or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, maybe it's because it's based on a real story that these things don't come full circle, but yeah. it just gives those little frayed edges that annoy me a bit. Yeah, yeah. Because um, there are things that you actually get worried about. Like when they um, tell Adam Driver to take off his Star of David, you kind of see him walk over to his locker, but you don't actually see him take it off. Mm. And so I worried the entire film that someone was going to pull his T-shirt down and yeah. find it. The entire, But it never, ever comes back again. No, the, the, they make a much bigger deal about the scene with the lie detector and the – which was great. That other guy, I don't know who he was, who played mm. the um the really ma- the really racist guy, yeah. did a really good job. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was very scary in uh-huh. that kind of unhinged way that worked really well. Yeah. <laughs> I also noted foreskin in the game is a line in the movie. No, that, that was no, 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 that wasn't a line in the movie. Oh no, you that said was something that. I said to you because um. They said you've got something about Adam Driver having skin in the game, yeah. and I like being an idiot who can't resist a pun. Leaned over and said he's got foreskin in the game. It was a great joke. I was laughing for a long time until I wrote, 
Grand Wizard is still the dumbest thing ever, which I, I also the, the Ku Klux Klan, the actual, I wanted to research it, but I didn't. The uh, actual, I, I can understand why you may not want that on your Google search I history. I know, but I really want to know about why they have the, like everything just doesn't seem to work together. Their whole philosophy. Oh, like the, the Grand Wizard the, of the Knights of the... Yeah, yeah. That's, I said, yeah, the terminology doesn't make any sense. Like, why do you need a Grand Wizard if you're knights? And what's with all the, like, why do you burn crosses if you're super religious? Mm. And, like, I don't understand the notion behind uh, a lot of it. I think the burning crosses is, like... It's a Scottish tradition. Oh, is that it? Was a, and a lot of the early founders of the KKK were Scottish. Yeah, I this is something I learned because... from Outlander, by the way. So I don't know how they're going to deal with that in later scene, later series of Outlander when this comes up. But anyway, well, it, yeah, but I mean, it doesn't really have anything to do with the Ku Klux. I mean, no, then there was no, no, no. So. it was no such thing. But yeah, that, it's um, it's like a Scottish going off to war tradition. Okay. Um, and the uh, knights and wizards, I think that might have something to do with like King Arthur, that kind of okay ancient. I don't know. Yeah, they do British, tend to be in, into that sort of nonsense. Celtic kind of, you know, like myths but, but and legends. It's not like Merlin was the head of the Knights of the Round Table. No, no. He was like an important part of the mythology. Anyway, I don't know, but that would be my – that they've got like they're sort of into the mythology and stuff. They only sort of half know what it is. And so they've just kind of made up things that they think sound great. But you also notice that um, David Duke is like deliberately calling himself the national director. I think yeah. he still calls himself that. Like he wants to um, put himself in a shiny suit and make himself appear respectable. Yeah. I mean, I completely get that. I'm just curious about why they yeah. have all of this weird conflicting terminology. How did that develop? Because it's so yeah. strange. Like it's it's just out of a – it's so like clicky <laughs> and like – I know. Yeah. But, but like so cultish and like – impenetrable to outside people yeah that like it must be really hard for them to recruit new members because it's so weird and doesn't make a lot of sense but or that's the whole point or the the kind of people that they recruit would be impressed by that and yeah i, I don't i don't know yeah it's just is i i don't know it's just strange to me mm. Mm, let me see i wrote that it's tiring to be around so much hateful rhetoric and racism yeah it is um and, like, that that's what, you know, black people must be experiencing every day. I feel like this. Mm. And you see Adam Driver looked exhausted when he, like, yeah. and when he, um, he has to, like, use a Jewish slur. Yeah. You see him look tired. I recently saw Dear White People. Oh, yeah. I still have to watch that. Uh, well, I don't want to say too much about it then. But I feel like, for me, this movie kind of made some points that that movie was trying to make more effectively. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. And not that I think that's a bad movie, but just some of the way that it did things. Is I more think heavy-handed, is, yeah. No, different. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll talk to you about it later. Yeah. All right. Um, the legitimizing Nazis parallel, which you just talked about as well. Mm -hmm. I wrote that it technically passes the Bechdel test because of that scene in the library. Oh, yeah. Which is not a good pass. It doesn't have a lot of women in it. No, and but yeah, it was interesting though because it was a white woman playing a role that is often played by black women, which is like a servant. Like she was a librarian but like in the sort of more servile role, like explaining mm. how something works and like offering to help Laura Harrier. Yeah. Who's, I keep forgetting her name, Patrice. Yeah, I didn't feel like it did great on the women front, but clearly it did better than no. the real story. Yeah. So I kind of get it. But like the women were underwritten for the most part mm. and they were always in danger. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, both of the major female roles in this movie are there to be in danger a lot. Um, yeah. One of them in a way that we don't care if she dies or not, but it's still 
Yeah. And it was two women who were with the speaker as well, Harry Belafonte. Yep. That like, it it just kind of, I didn't enjoy that very much. Mm. Very 70s though. Yeah, yeah. Like the revered man has these female handmaidens. In fact, well, the fact that Patrice and her friend are the ones who were like left to look after Brother Kwame and drive him to the airport and do all that kind of work when he's yeah. around. Yeah, exactly. A lot of that sort of um, stuff. And the, the, you know, it doesn't do much to help with the whole fact that women are underrepresented in history. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there was another really great shot. Um, there's a shot when they have the KKK meeting where they go, he pans really quickly across them one way uh-huh. to get to David Duke and then David Duke walks past them the other way yeah, and yeah. then goes past them behind and you go back across again. Yes. Okay. thought that was a really cool shot. And it would have taken quite a bit of setup, yeah. Yeah, it would have taken quite a bit. And it was very effective at showing their, like, I don't know, the, the relationship with him, mm. you know, and, like, how kind of powerless they are without him, really. Yeah. I yeah. don't know. It was interesting. It was a really good shot. Um, I, see, I was stressed out right to the end of the movie because I wrote, why are all the dogs barking when they were talking at the end? Because I was like, surely these things mean something. I think I was looking for more meaning right. out of the actual plot wrap-up part and yeah. it didn't ha- like i was like maybe they'll get shot now or something and i was tense right to the end right and, and then it ends with that shot of them coming into the future yeah and everything's <sighs> fine apparently well I um mean, and I mean, then clearly they're going see they didn't you know yeah now this, it's all coming nothing, back. this didn't resolve anything this is just as bad now as it was then and yeah i think it's more that it's all like the work that they did is being undone yes yes but um, and and it, it can it doesn't take much um in the movie it, it they talk about how it take one movie to bring back the Ku Klux Klan yeah, and, exactly. and and lynching and, and then the real footage to show that it has taken, you know, not very much in the current world to do the same thing. We talked about the ending a bit already. It is really effective and affecting, but it's, uh, I, and I think it will work well with overseas audiences. Um, yeah. I think that is one thing that is quite calculated and will definitely like, get the kind of audiences that Spike Lee wants to watch this movie to think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of the stuff that we know isn't probably terribly common knowledge, but like people overseas really hate Trump. Mm. Um, and and having that direct parallel will probably make a lot of people um, enjoy this movie more. Yeah. So yeah. I understand why it's there and I don't necessarily think that he shouldn't have done it. It didn't work very well for me because it takes away from the yeah. power of the movie by and and I think that's also because I know all this stuff and I've seen it. Yeah, I, I actually did appreciate it because even though I knew what had happened, watching it all put together, like I sort of you know you sort of watch that thing that stuff happen in bits and pieces. Yeah, um, I kind of appreciate it. It also reminded me a little bit of the way um, Fruitvale Station ends. Yeah, with the real Oscar Grant stuff, but um, but that I, doesn't it. Also play over the credits yeah, or something. I think it or the, it, it's actually it, finished and then it plays over the yeah, credits. Yeah, I think that's the problem. The movie doesn't feel like it's wrapped up before it goes yeah. into – it feels like the two of them actually go into the present with us. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if that's really the way that I prefer this movie to work. Yeah, yeah. Um, because you need an ending for their story. But you don't yeah. end the story. Yeah. It's just – Yeah, even though it colours everything you've seen beforehand, I do think it's, it is – kind of important and effective to have it there yeah like i said like i think over the credits or something or have like the ugly font credits and then put in all the trump stuff and then the rest of the credits yeah yeah. just so you know that the other story is finished and like finish that story Mm. or like do a real person real one starworth thing Mm. like now ron starworth does this or something so that you get 
a sense of the ending of the story we just watched because right. we don't have one. No. no. Yeah. Okay. All right. I know we've been talking a long time. No, that's all right. I, I have a lot to say about this. No, <laughs> I mean, and it's a it's a really interesting film and you can dig into it. And there are things we didn't dig into that could be dug into Yeah, further. I think you could write a lot of essays about it. I think it's going to yeah, be really like, important viewing. And I really understand why they gave it the second prize at Cannes. Yeah. yeah. And I did, like I said, I really enjoyed it. The nitpicks that I have are not massive ones. No. Um, but I, I, and uh, you know, a lackluster ending is always not great for a movie because that's mm. what you remember the most. Yeah. Going through my notes, I was like, oh, yeah, all these cool stuff. Yeah. I didn't even talk about that disco scene that was really cool. Yeah. But, like, when there's an ending that's just – It casts a pall over everything yeah. you've seen. Um, yeah. It, and I, I mean, I've started calling it the Infinity War problem, but it's yeah. – it's, uh, yeah. Anyway, well, the Infinity um, War problem, they're going to do an ending. This one's never going to have one. No, so. that's right. Uh, so, yeah, rating. Uh, four stars. Yeah, I think I'll go with four stars as well. Um, definitely, definitely a good one and definitely worth seeing. And um, yeah, so thank you very much for listening to Silver Screen Queens podcast. If you would like to find show notes or old episodes, they're on our website, silverscreenqueens.com. Uh, if you want to find us on social media, we're at screen underscore queens on Twitter, facebook.com forward slash silverscreenqueens and tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com on Tumblr. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.